Hello, rogues. It's episode 10 of the Streets of Avalon re-release. We are six stretch goals in as of this recording, which means for the $10 PDF, you'll get the book, The Streets of Avalon, and the following supplements. The Urban Ranger, The Firearms of Avalon, A Map of a Neighborhood, Iron Shoes, An Adventure by Avalon Creator Brett B. of Gaming and BS, The Urban Barbarian, and 10 Magic Items and Spells. Next up are four character dossiers of the characters from this very podcast. Grandma, Vassar, Fionn, and Maris, along with character sketches to go with them. There's even more goodies to light the lamps on beyond that. So click on the link in the post notes if you want to get in on all the dark citywide urban fantasy action, or you can just type in tinyurl.com slash streetsofavalon. Now before we get to the play, let's continue the preview from last time for you folks. Commoner. Commoners make up the bulk of the citizenry of Avalon. Laborers, shopkeepers, academics, alchemists, thieves, high-ranking guild members, warriors, etc. Commoners thrive in nearly every avenue of Avalon as they are closely connected to the day-to-day events of their neighborhoods. Sidebar example of a commoner. Lady Delia, a well-respected vendor of strong coffee, sticky buns, and other baked goods. Not only does she remember her customers by name, but her regular chatting with each person provides her a constant flood of information about families, family problems, current information on the Griffin's latest activities, and other rumors of events in or near her neighborhood. Outlander. Outlander is a term used for anyone whose origins are from outside the walls of Avalon. Unless you live near one of the great gates of Avalon, it is very rare for any city-bred person to have dealings with outlanders. Plenty of caravans and travelers enter Avalon, but very few have the courage to plumb the twisting alleyways and permanently shadowed streets of the city. Occasionally, there are those who leave the rural outland towns and find a way to adjust to the city, carving a reputation for themselves and finding ways to earn a level of respect and power within their chosen field. Many outlanders who have followed this path try to sever ties to their past in order to shed their bumpkin personas. Bargemen A common sight along the docks of the southern portion of Avalon, the diminutive bargemen, half the size of a commoner, are not native to Avalon, spending most, if not all, of their lives on the waters of the Great Sea. Most bargemen prefer brightly colored, loose-fitting clothing, only wearing shoes in the colder months. Their mode of dress is similar to the images of pirates that crop up so often in storytellers' tales. Their shrewd bargaining and odd customs make any business exchange with the bargemen a lengthy and complex event. But as they are the only suppliers of the spices, cloth, and seawood timber in Avalon, those who deal with the bargemen are willing to endure the process. Sidebar example of a bargeman. Some natives of Avalon tend to underestimate bargemen, seeing them as childlike and unthreatening. Ask around about One-Eyed Willie, the notorious bargeman thief, extortioner, and murderer, and you'll understand that size doesn't matter when it comes to making a name for yourself in Avalon. The origin of the bargeman is unknown. Various scholars have tried to determine the truth, but so far no one has gotten a straighter, non-contradictory answer from the bargeman. It is widely believed that the bargeman's homeland was an island that has long ago sunk beneath the sea, making the bargeman a species of permanent sailors. That's all for this installment. Now on to the next episode, and if you've backed the Kickstarter, thank you. And if you have or haven't, please tell your friends, enemies, the monsters you know, any rogues you associate with, and everyone in between about the streets of Avalon. Just maybe stay away from them bargemen. I hear they're kind of mean, especially with guns. Last time on the streets of Avalon, our rogues found a magical pearl eye, researched it a bit, and decided to make their way to the Copper Cup to get some rest before talking to a lamplighter. Let's find out what moves our rogues will make next.
Welcome to the Streets of Avalon, played by the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, and presented by Misdirected Mark Productions, in conjunction with Gaming and BS, She's a Super Geek, and the Knights of the Night. Now for the introductions of our GM, the players, and the characters. Uh, Brett B. from Gaming and BS, I am the Dungeon Master. Hi there, this is Kevin Lovecraft. I'm playing a bard in this 5e campaign. Maris Solanus. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm one of the GMs and editors of Knights of the Night Actual Play Podcast. I am uh, playing a druid character, Nora Maginis, also known as Grandmother. I'm Emily from She's a Super Geek. I make up about one half of it, technically. I am playing a ranger, Fionn McFinnegan. And my name is Chris Nizak, and I am one of the hosts and, uh, I guess, the architect of Misdirected Mark Productions. I am playing a character called Vassar Vim. I am a rogue who lives on the hard streets of Avalon, and I turn the microphone over to Brett B. Vassar, are you an early riser or no? I usually am, but not this time, because I got the ever-living love kicked out of me the last 24 hours. <laughs> I was going to say, you've had a, had a rough one. Sue... So- as I said, when you guys are up in the morning, there is no one else in the Copper Cup but y'all. How are we going to start the discussion with the lamp later? What's the plan, I guess? How do you want to find a dress, or what is it that you want to do here? We're going to go wait by a lamp for a lamp lighter to show up. Okay, it's one thing to go talk to a lamp lighter, but Vassar and Maras both understand the way that works, is you have to bring something to a lamp lighter. If you want to entreat them to talk to you, it's usually helpful to bring something to them. The types of things that are often brought to lamplighters to help get them to speak are things like, you know, a candle made from the fat of um, an aborted calf, something that has to do with light, and also something that has to do with death, or something along those lines kind of intermingled. And if it was a a lantern that was uh, made with uh, the oil from the first whale that was killed and brought into shore, that might work. A torch made from the you know, bones of the dead or something along those lines. Those are the <laughs> mythical type of things that are really cool. The other stuff that has been used in the past, as Vassar and and Mars can attest to, are uh, even something as simple as a an eye, a a jewel, a jeweler's eye, a pair of spectacles, written documents, things that are old, antiquated. They seem to like that stuff. So when I went and talked to the lamplighter, I just got lucky. Then he actually came to talk to you more than anything else. Oh. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I look toward Tom. Do you know where anything like that might be? Oh, majestic, wonderful king of cats. The cat has a freshly killed rat. That's as close as it's getting right now. Oh, okay. Good kitty. Meow. Oh, majestic, wonderful emperor of all cat kind. That's the way you do it. <sighs> oh, there's got to be some little kiosk, bodega type place where we can... Go purchase some sort of candle or some sort of rare oil. We've got the coin. Oh, that's true. Absolutely. You have you have plenty of cash. Uh, where's the black market in this town? Oh, hey, Vassar. If you respond everywhere, I'm just going to roll my eyes. I got a few people that I can go talk to. Let's go see Chully. Chully? You're going to go see Chully again? Yeah, let's go see Chully. You're not going without some sort of uh, backup or guard. Correct. We're all, like, about 40 feet behind. (laughs) I think we should all just go together. That seems like a wise plan. Oh, we can do prep work, then. No black markets open in the morning. Fionn, I don't think you quite understand the concept of a black market. There's not actually a market place that you go to. There's not? 
No, no. There, it's it's like a metaphor. It's like it's a market that exists outside of the normal marketplaces, so that people can't be taxed and whatnot. You just have to know the right people. But we have a green market. I imagine they sell vegetables there, right? Yeah, that's where the farmers come, and anybody who has wares like that to sell. Yeah, like the black market's kind of everywhere as long as you know who to talk to. It's just kind of how it works. Hmm. Okay. I see this childlike wonder in Fiona's eyes where she's thinking, well, everyone must dress in black. Are we properly attired? Is it supposed to happen in the <laughs> evening? Are there draperies that are involved? How is this held? I don't have any fancy clothes. <laughs> is it going to be a black and white tie event? Anyone care if we stop by Albion's uh, and get some calf and a sticky roll on our way? Yes! Sticky rolls! Seems like a good idea. We should stop at Lady Delia's and get some uh, some sweet rolls. Lady Delia, of course, up before the dawn, has some wonderful hot, sugary, sticky buns, and um, there's plenty of hot coffee for those who require such sustenance. I love morning in Avalon. It's like the forges have been off for a part of the night, and there's not as much smoke in the air, and the sea has blown out some of that stuff, and it smells a lot better. I mean, it's just, look at the beautiful sunrise. The dead have been hauled away. Yeah, that too. So much nicer. So much nicer. Everything's nicer with your sticky bun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Even the Griffins have just started the the new the new shifts have kicked in. They they fresh. They could easily be bribed at this point. They're not jaded yet or drunk. So hey, it's a good morning. Wait, who's bribing the city police? Uh, I I have on occasion. It's it's necessary. It happens. I see Fiona with like a small basket, just constantly re- reaching in like a like like I would <laughs> with a bag of funyuns. That's how I see this going down. I, I promised the village I wouldn't get addicted to anything like caffeine. I did not tell them I would not eat all the sweet, sweet rolls I could. <laughs> so Vassar and Maros, you guys know Chelly pretty well. Tall, rail thin guy, wispy black hair. He insists to uh, keep as long as possible. It's a scraggly, nasty mess, but he thinks it's he thinks it's wonderful with the ladies. He has this beat up little ramshackle shack. That is the front. Once you enter that, you know full well what's behind the facade is actually quite opulent. It's just a matter of getting in the front door properly. So Chelly actually works with the uh, what are the, the the what are the people that are called that work on the sewers? Oh, the uh, Brotherhood of Sanitary Excavators. Chelly's actually a member of the Brotherhood of Sanitary Excavators, at least on the surface. And the reason it's a shack is because there's an an entrance to the sewer system down here, and that's where they keep all most of their supplies. Like that, they have a little section area sectioned off. Perfect. It smells wonderful here too. Mm. So the password to get on the in the in, you know the underground room is uh, smells like the roses because nobody would ever say that. All four of you are heading over to Chelly's. Am I correct, grandmother? You're going as well. That is correct. Yes. Rap on the door. It opens up. You see Chelly in his uh, finest of finery, his uh, tatty black suit, his uh, stringy black hair. He bows low. He has an Ichabod Crane type of look, except a little more elongated and much more pointed on all facets. He's just a very angular man. Hello, Chelly. How are you today? Not too bad. Not too bad, Vassar. What can I do for you? Uh, We're looking for some things. Uh, smells like... He the- walks right past you and goes directly to Grandmother and says... Who he's on one knee takes his takes her hand kisses it is this adorable adorable creature? Oh great gods! <laughs> he's paying no attention to Fiona. He is zeroed in on grandmother. No, that's totally okay. I'm just waiting for grandmother to hit him with a stick. Uh, I'm not sure hot stuff there is available, Charlie. Uh, yeah, actually, grandmother blushes just a tiny bit, but then gets it under control. Uh, it has been a while since she has been uh, addressed such. I am a visitor to this 
city of yours. And Vassar here and, and Maris are, are attempting to help us. Well, I am, besides myself, Vassar and Maris, that you did not bring this wonderful woman and her daughter to me. I mean, come on now. Who else to show them around? Come in, come in, come in, come in, come in, come in. We've been keeping them under wraps for only three days, and you're the first people to meet her and live so far. That kind of hits the brain, and most he's not quite sure what to do with that. You're taking in Grandmother, and uh, he only has eyes for you. Everyone else is kind of just secondary, just in the wake of his angular walking. You go past the front door, into the back room, through his side door, down a set of stairs, into a gorgeous, opulent basement. The room is about 50 by 50. Beautiful carved stonework, draperies, um, carpeting, gorgeous woodwork everywhere, fireplaces going. It's just, it's immaculate. It looks like it would be something you would see that you would dream of to be in a nobleman's home. Takes you, sit you right by the fire, make sure you have tea, coffee, wine, beer, whatever it is you need. Until grandmother is set, he will not talk to anybody else. So, grandmother, do you have any demands that you wish to make at this point? Um, not a not a fan of the coffee, but I am of the tea. So if he has some tea, yo, abso- absolutely, absolutely, my fine lady. Um, uh, he's got five different variations of tea. What do you need? Um, what does he have? Do you want something strong, mild, aromatic? She's more in the aromatic. Uh, something containing rosemary, something with a little flavor to it. Got you. Whips you up a little something. Puts the uh, diffuser in. Asks you to let it sit for a while. Seats himself, looks back to the others, and uh, seems to finally remember that you're all here. Motions you vaguely at some stools or other sitting things that are nearby. The two best chairs, of course, for Grandmother and uh, Jolly. I stand uh, beside, but a little bit behind Grandmother's chair, and just cr- I, so I don't sit down, I just stand, and I cross my arms. Like, possessively? She's playing the tough. Nobody messing with my grandma, unless she wants them to. Then she will tell me to leave. Madam, what, um, what, what is it that you wish to see in this fine city? I happen to have singular access to many, many important artifacts, uh, places, and uh, other items of interest within the city. What is it that you desire? And I shall make it so. Well, Vesser, what is it we're looking for? We're looking for something... Voices like a sparrow. I mean, it's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. We're looking for something uh, rather unique. Something unique. Pray, what is, what, what is it? Oh, we're looking for the... Boiled down fat of an infant child. Oh wait, what? Oh wait, what? It's one that was already dead, not not murdered. Well, preferably the tallow formed into a candle. Yeah, that. Grandmother, are you trying, madam? Madam, are you letting these people drag you to speak to a lamplighter? Surely, whatever it is you need, I can provide. You do not need to do anything that dangerous. I am here. Pat your knee. I, I am here. I can help you. Take his hand off my knee and place it down on his chair, patting it kindly. <laughs> he, he's, he's five shades of red. He just realizes what a horrible breach of etiquette it is, and this deal may not be sealed at this point. And he sits back, feeling rather foolish. Uh, Vassar was holding his <laughs> breath, waiting for Grandma to smack him and be like, oh, man, we're in so much trouble now. <laughs> we haven't got what we need yet, so we must be nice. Unfortunately... We've been involved in some rather serious things, and actually dealing with a lamplighter is at this point the least of our worries. But it is something that must be done. So, if you could help us, since it is customary to bring the lamplighters a gift, perhaps your finest gift would be beneficial to us. 
Okay. You can't be dissuaded. Strong-headed women. I do like that. I do like it. Um, I will. Uh, I will be right back. Make yourselves at home. Uh, motions over at Mara Sylvester. Make sure they. Make sure they have drinks and food. There's stuff over there. And he quickly scurries out a side door. Okay. See, he was dressed in all black. Uh, yeah, that's true. He was. But the Brotherhood tends to wear darker colors because it doesn't show all of their work. Yeah, that. I'm just saying, maybe we should have picked up dark clothes. He's a member of the Brotherhood of Sanitary Excavators. It's just what they wear, like Mara said. It is like a, a ritual garb with them, Fionn. Don't worry. You guys wait about five minutes. He's back. He glares at Maris and Vassar because he appears distraught that you have not been proper hosts in his place. You have no idea what you could have or should have done. He's just clearly in a bit of a uh, Twitter. <laughs> Grandmother has that effect on people. He has a black carpet bag, adding more to Fiona's like, see, it's black. Everything's black. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very thick canvas looking like a carpet bagger's bag. He places it on grandmother's lap, careful not to touch her <laughs> physically himself, only places the bag ever so gently, and says, uh, Madam, I believe what you need is in there, and I will require no payment other than, if you would, only please promise to return for dinner. Tomorrow. Not even tonight. Just tomorrow. I... Do it. Do it. I elbow Morris. As I do not know what this day will hold, I, I'm afraid I can't promise because I don't like to break my promises, but I will do my best to return for dinner tomorrow. What else could a gentleman ask other than a lady's best? Of course, I would be a cad to think otherwise. So yes, yes, your best will do. Your best will do. If not tomorrow night, perhaps the night after. Um, within a fortnight. Within a fortnight, perhaps? Again, my best. <sighs> Damn. I'll do everything in my power to make sure she remains whole and healthy so that she may return to you. I will also do my best to make sure she remains whole and healthy. Yeah, I'll, I'll do her shame, I say with a mouthful of crackers. <sighs> very well. Um, Is there anything else, my lady? No, you've been very kind. Uh, I thank you for uh, your assistance. Well, I... Yeah. I do what 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 um, needs doing, I guess you know, as uh, the best I can. And he, he babbles a little bit more. It's kind of this round, circly. It's kind of like Brett doing a podcast. It goes around and around. Eventually, comes back to the fact he's enamored <laughs> with you and he doesn't know what else to do. So um, I let him twist in the wind just a bit before uh, taking sympathy on him and and excusing that we must we must leave. We must be away. We have other things to attend to. But I thank you for your help once again, and I shall, I promise, return. He has positioned himself so that if you wish to, as you are leaving as a goodbye, you may either shake his hand or give him a peck on the cheek. He's bent in that semi-awkward, I would love the lady's kiss, but I am. Not, I also have a hand extended, and so I don't look like a complete fool. Although anyone watching him, he looks like a complete fool. Hmm. I may have need of him in the future, so yes, he gets a little peck on the cheek as I pass by and head out the door. Well, I wasn't expecting that. I'd scrub those lips, Grandma. I'd like to do the uh, the mafia thing, where I like pat his cheek three times. The third one, way too hard. Yeah, good boy. He's taken aback. The whole thing is just wonderful. It's excellent. You have a black canvas carpet-like bag, and uh, you're back on the streets. Hey, what's in the bag? Yeah, we better double check it. <laughs> okay, last time we opened something that we didn't know what was in it, we opened the mouth of. Griffin Ehrlich. I'm not volunteering. Why didn't we ask him what was in it? Uh, grandmother opens the bag and looks inside. You have a half dozen candles, a gem and uh, that looks, it's kind of cut like an eyeball. 
And you also have a uh, pair of very ancient spectacles with crystal lenses. Okay, so my face doesn't do the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark melting. No, it does not melt off. No, that's good. And you don't have to go take a bath like some other people had to either. So I'm going to do a detect magic real quick on the contents, just to make sure we don't have a tracker or anything in there, etc. The spectacles are definitely magical. They are um, designed towards divination, observation, those type of things, essentially in fitting the idiom, if you will, of a spectacle, of what it means to be a pair of spectacles. <laughs> They're improvements of sight. So if I lift the spectacles up, don't put them on, but just hold them in front of me and look through into the bag and over at Vassar and Fion and Grandma. It's black. Everything through the lenses is completely pitch black. You can't even see through them. Huh. That's weird. Hey, guys, check these out. I mean, there's something with them. I reach for the glasses and also look through them, except I put them on because I don't know any better. Hey, why wouldn't I do this? Yeah, strap them on there. Um, you slide them on, it's like wearing a, um, <clears throat> it's not even like dark sunglasses where you could see through them. It is like looking at lenses that have had black paint put on them. They are literally black that you cannot see through. I take them off. You look at them with them off, they do not have that look, right? They look like you should be able to see through them. Once they're on, you cannot. I don't see the point of spectacles that do not allow you to see better. And I will hand them back to Maris. Hmm. Well, those are odd. Not quite sure what they're for. I figure we just give him the lamplighter and then he won't kill us. Oh, give him the whole bag? Shouldn't we ration? I put the glasses back in the bag. I hand the bag to Vassar. Shouldn't we offer him his choice? I mean, we like Fionn was about to say, shouldn't we save it in case we have to correspond with him again in the future? That seems like a wise plan. I just get a little sketchy when it comes to lamplighters. They make me nervous. They only eat your soul the seventh time, Vassar. You're good. Yeah, the seventh time. The seventh time what? You ask them a question. There's like a limit. Well, but there's four of us. He's lying, by the way, Fionn. Oh. You're sharp, kid. Really sharp. Fionn looks downfallen because she trusted Maris. If you remember earlier today, he mentioned that they, uh, you only survive like one out of every ten encounters with the lamplighter. We're going to go talk to it. I just talked to a lamplighter yesterday. Did you talk to it or did it talk to you? It talked to me, technically, Grandmother. Hmm. I'm not sure that one counts. I think the cat led me to it. In fact, it was that exact cat that's now following around Fionn. I look down to Tom to see if he reacts to that. Um, the cat will the cat will sit. It does the cockeyed glare at Vassar, as if Vassar just offered him, you know, dog food or some other treat he does not approve of. What? You totally took me to a lamplighter. What do you want? Turns around, sits down with his back towards Vassar. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I turn my back to the cat. <laughs> <laughs> now, lamplighters show up at night because that's when the uh, street lamps need to be lit. So you guys have essentially all day today to do something. Uh, we can speed that up. I don't know if there's other things you wish to accomplish between now and that time. I can, by the powers vested in me as a game master, I can warp time. Or we can do other things if you have other things that you need to accomplish. Uh, I'm good with warping time. Well, assuming that assuming that after we talk to the lamplighter we will be given a destination on where to take this box. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that we need to do before then? Vassar, uh, do we need to do something to take care of your mother to make sure she's safe while we're gone? She should be fine for a period of time. That's why I paid the people that I paid to keep her safe. So Fiona and I have nothing in 
this city to keep us here if we have to leave or go. Unless you want to check in on Liam. Didn't Liam leave town? He was supposed to. Uh, I hope so. Whether or not he did, we don't know. You mean the lad who doesn't do what he's told? I'm sure he did what he was told this time. <laughs> oh, wait, that's sad. You better have. It sounds like I can uh, do the Game Master magic and warp some time and speed us along. Is that acceptable? Yeah, unless you're going to do something to us in the in-between. Nope, I have no plans to murder anyone until uh, now. So, evening rolls around. The group has gathered back at the Iron Wheel. Not wanting to be overly early or overly late, the Lamplighters always show up about the same time. So, you guys arrive there. Maris, sitting on the stoop of the Iron Wheel, you can see the two kids from a distance. Boy and a girl, twins, fraternal of course. They look up, see you, and they come sprinting over to you, and then they notice Vassar, and then they're asking what has happened to Allison. Um, this is th- these are Allison's uh, younger brother and sister. They're, oh, the, twin. they're the twin, no. the twin, twin lesser siblings. Uh, Mom is very sick. Um, you know, Allison hasn't come home. The rent is due. It's the very heavy duty sob story. What are their names? You have Ivan and Sarah are the two. Ah, oh, kids. So Ivan is doing his best to be the big, strong man, and uh, Sarah is basically doing the, shut up, Ivan, you know this is serious. You know mom can't handle this. If something bad happened, we have to tell mom. No, you don't tell mom that. We have to be strong. We have to. I'm going to look down at Ivan and Sarah, make eye contact with both of them, and say, I think we need to go talk to your mom. Let's go. Guys, I'll be back. Is is Allison here? I mean, she, she's supposed to be working. She... That's what I need to talk to you guys and your mom about all together. Okay. okay. V- Vassar, is, is 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 this okay? Vassar just looks down and away from the kids. Kids not being stupid. The tears start coming. Guys, it's not really okay, but we need to go talk with your mom and see what we can do to try to make it better. Sarah bucks up a little bit quickly, goes, come on, Ivan, we can we can do this. Come on, let's go talk to Mom. Mars will fix everything. It'll be okay. Oh, God, you see my shoulders just collapse when she says that, and I hear it. I rack my brain to try and remember if Morris, if he broke the one gold coin or not. I slide over to Morris, and I uh, slide him uh, 15 silver pieces. Give it, give it to the, give it to him. Morris, it's not far. It's just a few houses down over third floor of a fourth floor uh, dive you walk up the external staircase which is damn near a ladder at some points you walk in you've been here before helping Allison bring uh, bring food and just trying basically to uh, win win good graces and so forth it's a single room it has a coal kind of a pot-bellied stove in the center there is some wood and coal and other burnable things next to it the place is definitely chilly Regardless of the time of year in Avalon, when you're in this type of area, you don't get a lot of wind, not a lot of sun. It's just very uncomfortable and just damp from the ocean. That isn't all that far away. There's beds and some rude furniture and so forth, pretty much exactly as you left it. Sitting in the rocking chair next to the uh, coal stove is Mom. She's sitting there. She sees you. Her eyes are open, expectant. When the door opens up, she sees the twins, and she sees you and not Allison. And the tears start. The tears start falling. She's wiping her nose. Wipe, <clears throat> desperately. <laughs> her name is Claire, and Claire is just. She looks at you, and she says, "Morris, come have a have a seat. Have a seat. Uh, sure, good to see you. Um, h- how are things at the wheel? Yeah, are you doing well? Mm, Claire, with with the with the with the stories. 
Yes, but I have a sad story I have to share right now. And Oh, I, I assume Allison had to take that other job, right? Right? She kind of nods at you and looks at the kids. I'm, I'm sure she took the job up in the nobles' quarters, and she's just not able to come I'm home. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Allison. She grabs you. One shaky hand, Morris. You have to tell me that she's in the noble quarters, Morris. You can't tell me she's dead. She's not. She's dead. She was killed by Willie the Bargeman. I took care of him, but she's dead. I'm sorry. She's not coming back. She's not in the noble quarters. She's gone, and I hate to tell you that, but I'm not going to lie about that. Both Sarah and Ivan um, circle around Mom. The hugs. The it's okay, Mom. It's okay, Mom. We told you. We told you this is probably what happened. We told you. Um, Mom is doing her best. No, no, no. It's totally fine. It's absolutely fine. I'm, I'm sure she'll come back. No, it's not totally fine, guys. She's not coming back. No, she'll she'll come back. It's okay. But I'm going to make sure you get taken care of. Well, it's it's fine. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure she left us in in good stead. You you you. It's fine. Yeah, she did. She put aside some money. Julia had been holding it for her to make sure that nothing happened to it. Julia's such a wonderful woman. I mean, I I know she helped her get that job in the Noble Quarter. I know everything's fine. Yeah, she's totally distraught about this terrible loss for everyone. I pull out the coin purse and I just hand it to her. It's got all of my silver in it. It's like 74 pieces of silver. The kids are looking at you, Ivan and Sarah. They look at you. They are comprehending. They get it. Sarah does the sidelong glance to Mother and shakes her head like she's not sure what's going to happen here. The twins are about 11 or 10, right, that age. They get it. They know what has happened, and they also know that Mom at this point can't handle that. So they're just kind of going with the fact that Mom's a little off right now. Yeah. So I nod at the kids, like, over to the other corner. Mm-hmm. And we step away just a bit, and I get down and whisper. I'm like, okay, guys, you got to take care of your mom right now. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll make sure we find apprenticeships or whatever for you guys. Not sure where you see your lives taking you, but I want to make sure that you can take care of and support your mom after this horrible thing has happened. And I'll continue to seek vengeance upon those who are responsible for Allison's death. But I need you guys to try to be strong for your mom. I'll check in whenever I can. You know to come to me if you need something. Are you still at the Iron Wheel? Is it still safe there? Uh, we're not really using the iron wheel right now, uh, but talk to the ragged urchins group out there. You know, Billy and and uh, Jill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can usually track me down through various runners. Okay. If you need okay. something, tell them they'll find me. Okay. I'll check in with you guys every couple of days. Just make sure that you're getting by. For God's sake, use some of that coin. Get a physic in here to take a look at your mom and see if there's something you can do. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely we will. Claire calls the children over. Uh, Ivan, I need you to run to the store. Uh, your wonderful sister left us some money, so we it's that we, we need some food. And, and Sarah, I think I think you should get the food, Sarah. And, and Ivan, you, you could get a, a bucket of coal from the from from the man at the corner. I think that would be great. I think that that would be just fine. And she's just my, very miserly hands out a few coins. You know, growing up poor and having a lot, she's just not <clears throat> she's not going to go you know blow the entire thing on a brand new double wide trailer with a Trans Am outside type of thing. She's not going to go crazy stereotypical what she's going to do is she's just going to hold on to every penny every coin she can to try to make it last as long as possible 
After that, she's going to apologize. Claire will apologize for being so upset. Um, I, I, I wish I could offer you some dinner, but in, until the kids get back with something, and I know you're really busy, and um, when when you see her, just you know, tell Allison, you know, we love her, and uh, we'll we'll see her as soon as she gets back. Okay. Super sincerely, I'll grab her hands and look her in the eye, and I will. I definitely will, Claire. Good, good. You've always been such a good boy, and Allison, Allison, just she really loved you. And I loved you, so just just be good. Don't get hurt. I'll try. Okay. Vassar, Nora, and Fion, you guys are outside the Iron Wheel. It's that evening time. Mars has taken the twins back up to um, see what's going on with Claire. Vassar kind of gives the whole, uh, it's Claire's the mom. She's been ill for a while. She kind of lays out the quick story for Grandma and Fiona saying it's, this could get kind of sketchy because it's not, it's not going to go over well. You know, I mean, I liked Allison a lot. I, I look at Fiona and, and Grandma, but people die in Avalon all the time and we just kind of keep going on. Like I've, I've had a couple of my friends over the course of time die, one of them right in front of me. But uh, we always make it work. Like, when we get the Iron Wheel back open and running, we'll just hire the two kids to be bard maids or something like that. We'll get them some money. See, in Glenshire, we don't have any money, so we just take care of each other. Well, that's kind of how we take care of each other. We give each other jobs so that they can get money, which is the currency for taking care of each other in a lot of ways. Grandma, you're the first one to see him. Morris is coming up the road. Um, it's starting to get a little bit dark. You can see in the distance some of the other lamps are being lit, so you know full well the lamplighter who services this particular area should be out shortly, if what the locals have told you is true. And Grandma, you see Mars coming, and he has um, a, a metaphorical emotional millstone hanging around his neck with an albatross. Pads down, kind of dragging feet, shoulders slumped. Looks like typical depressed kid. Yeah, I I treat him as I would someone from the village, as and I comfort him as he comes closer. I just pull him in, give him a a quick hug. Oh, I'll hug back, kind of like choke back a sob. Let him get that little sob out of him that 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 is hanging in there, and say we we still have work to do. It, it'll be okay. Yeah, I know. Not gonna do what I can to. I can't fix it, but I'll try to. I'm not gonna. I'm going to try to do right by those kids. Hey, Mars, man, it's Avalon. We'll take care of our own like we always do. Yeah, I know. That was just really hard. I've never had to do that before. Well, I mean, you're only, what, 17? Almost 18, yeah. It's going to happen again. Trust me, man. Yeah, I know. I know. Does it get easier? No. Fuck. So, we have a bag full of lamplighter goodies. We have a lamplighter supposed to be showing up. Mars is doing... The Avalonian thing of trying his best to shake it off. Grandmother gave him the hug. Faster gave him the pep talk. The kind of Avalon equivalent of guys punching each other saying it'll be okay. And um, are we ready to roll? Fionn, anything from you that you wanted to do in the meantime while this is going? I'm not, I'm not trying to push you, Emily. If, you're not in, if you don't have anything that she would do, I just don't want to make sure I don't gloss over. Um, how is uh, Tom doing? Tom seems fine. Uh, Tom has uh, hung out a lot by Maris. Morris, unless you shoo him away, he will hang by you, rub on your legs, try to get a couple pets. He will not bite. He will, uh, lots of heavy type of action. I'll give him some face rubs and scratches behind the ear. 
fingers because I don't want to lose my fingers and I know where you touch a cat. Yes. Until it says stop. <laughs> His Majesty, King of all Tomcats, Lord of the Mousers, is uh, quite pleased with your menstruations and um, will deign to follow you further. So, Fion, Tom, after doing what it thinks it needs to do, apparently to comfort Maris, returns to you and has a very smug, see, that is how you make a person feel better. Look on its face. Yeah, honestly, I do look, like, a little better. Not 100% yet, but I don't look quite so out of it and out of my depth. Excellent. So, what is the plan of attack for the lamplighter? Uh, not to attack him. Not to attack him. There we go. Let's drop the term attack, Brett. Let's say, what's the plan for conversing <laughs> with? <laughs> How about we use conversation? What's the plan for the conversation? Um, engagement model, perhaps? We walking behind or towards the behind, if you will. Um, there's a narrow alleyway. This is the place where uh, Fionn had shot her arrow up. You walk past that, and uh, Fionn gets the, oh, yeah, I shot somebody up there. I tried to do with the arrow. And then we walk through here, and then right back there is the uh, the stables. That's where the fire was. That's where we killed those doppelganger things. And that's where the cats were. And there is the lamplighter standing next to a lamp. He's holding the long iron staff that has the little burning wick on the end of it. The head turns, it has that no eyes, bald, elongated ears, needle-like teeth, that horrible, um, you know, five, you know, the body probably needs about 10 yards of skin, has about eight yards of skin stretched tightly across it, it has a desiccated mummy-like look, reaches up with his left, or excuse me, the right hand with the staff, lights the lamp, brings the staff down, and just stands there waiting, staring at you. Oh, jeez, is that a lamplighter? Uh, yeah, Fionn, that's a lamplighter. Don't freak out. Okay, it doesn't help it when you say don't freak out. Fionn, if this thing stood up straight, Fionn, you were positive it would be nine feet tall. Mm -hmm. It has this odd hunched stance and its skeletal form and this horrible ratty-tatty cloak that hangs over it, almost like it's just a burlap sack almost. It's way too large for the skinny little frame underneath it. Okay, Morris is going to open up the black carpet bag, pull out the glasses, put them on, and look at the lamplighter real quick. I need a will save, please. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> awesome. Oh, no, no, no. Eight. Kevin whips, uh, Morris whips the glasses off, throws them in the dirt, and begins retching. <laughs> My specialty is like avoiding bodily fluids. <laughs> Um, you take three points of damage. You have, um, basically, it's this, this nasty psychic blast, if you will. What you saw, you cannot put a finger on. It was bright. The lightest, brightest light you can possibly conceive of. So I'm, like, throwing up, and I'm like, oh, my God, it was too bright. Grandmother flips to the back of the book, writes down Morris, starts writing some columns. Fionn will hold Morris's hair. Thank you. Vassar picks up the glasses off the ground before Morris throws up on them. And he looks at the lamplighter and he's like, well met, lamplighter. We wish to ask you a question or two for these offerings. A question or two. It's voice. I, I can't do the voice. It is cavernous, crackly, as, as if you had a scarecrow speaking to you in a deep cave. A question? kind of points towards the bag. You have enough, enough for many questions. questions. Yes, but we thought maybe we would just ask you if you would give you th some tribute. Hmm. The long, nasty fingers come out. Do, Do I, I get, get my, my choice? choice? 
Yes. He picks the glasses up, puts them back in the bag. These you should keep. And smiles at Maris with this horrible rictus grin. I made a uh, religion check to see if I could get some sort of inkling of what I saw slash couldn't see. And I rolled a five, so I failed miserably. Morris, you're, you, what you saw, you're not quite positive what it was. You had a blurred a glimpse of something. If I ask you to do this again, Kevin, please make note that you've done this before, this check around the lamplighters and seeing something in the light. Okay. You'll have advantage if you ever do this again. So I saw something, but it was so bright I couldn't make it out. If you have another opportunity based on this knowledge, I will give you advantage on another roll. Got it. So Vassar, you have the bag. You're holding it. It has placed the glasses back in. If I say he or she it or it, I'll all apply. It is essentially sexless at this point. No one can quite tell what it is. It reaches in and um, pulls out two of the candles, holds one of them up to the light, holds another one up, weighs them in each hand, and then devours them like like chewing like like chewing like chewing on a uh, stick of sugar. What? Just crack. This nasty, gummy sound of chewing hardened fat as it grinds it in its teeth and then chokes down this massive wad of barely masticated wax. Well, you don't see that every day, even in Avalon. Okay, keep it together. Keep it together, Fionn. It's okay. Morris, the vomiting has stopped. You're feeling pretty good. Okay, that was like 30 plus seconds of serious vomiting. I'm sweating and pale. Nora and Vassar, you cannot, neither one of you can tell if the lighter is, because there's no eyes, you can't tell if it's looking at one of you or both of you, but it, it looks over and says, or excuse me, the head swivels in your direction, no eyes again. You may ask. That's all for this episode of The Streets of Avalon. Tune in next time to see what they ask the lamplighter, finally see if Vassar is eviscerated, and if Grandmother returns to Chully. We look forward to running with you rogues next time.